you could open your Bibles for scripture reading to Job chapter 1. We're going to start with 4 through 12. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who, God, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In verses 13 through 19, uh, you can read it when you have a chance. Uh, Job loses all of his possession and his children. And now let's go to verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Uh, in chapter 2, Verses 1 through 3, Satan is again before the Lord discussing Job. And starting in verse 4, we will read, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. 
But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Let the day be darkness. May God above not seek it nor light shine upon it. And then we're going to go down to verse 20 of chapter 3. 20 through 26. Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul who long for death but it comes not and dig it more than for hidden treasures who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whose God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together here. Lord, we just uh, pray for this message that Pastor Josiah is going to bring to us. Lord, we just uh, pray that you yourself would speak through him, that you would open our hearts to receive uh, the instruction from it, Lord, and uh, that we may grow in our walk with you and our knowledge of you today through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to do something a little bit, there you go. I'm going to do something a little bit unconventional for this message, and I'm going to start with a song. Uh, as I was thinking about this heavy passage that we just read, um, where Job, who is a righteous man, um, I hope we would probably, we'd want to be like Job, right? A man who God says in the beginning, he says, this man is blameless in my sight, and there is not one on earth like him. I want to be that guy. But God comes and takes Job's health, he takes his family, he takes everything. And this song came into my mind. Um, it's also a song that's been very meaningful to me as my family has been through some pretty heavy suffering. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about that when the song is over. But just put yourself here in, in this situation. Imagine you're Job. This song is called Hard to Get.
and who get hardened in the hurt. Do you remember when you lived down here where we all scrape to find the faith to ask for daily bread? Did you forget about us after you had flown away? Well, I memorized every
it's hard to be in a spot where um, God brings something into your life that doesn't make sense, that you can't wrap your mind around. Um, like I said, my family's been through kind of a, a, a pretty heavy amount of suffering. We were diagnosed about five years ago with something called EDS. It's Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. You might have heard of this. It's, it's not super well-known, um, but it's essentially a disease that attacks a bunch of parts of you, um, different parts of your body. It's not like a single area. It'll attack your heart. It'll attack your digestive system. And as a family, we've had some low points where we were saying exactly what Rich Mullins was saying in that song and exactly what Job was saying, which is, I don't understand God. I don't understand. Why are you doing this? In the low point of that, um, I hesitated sharing this story just because I don't want to make light of it. Um, The low point was actually this summer, this past summer, when we lost somebody who we knew with the same sickness. She was 12. Why? And not just seeing her suffer, because that's hard, but seeing, I'm sorry, not just seeing her die, which was hard, but seeing her suffer, seeing her laying in the hospital, feeling pain that is very unimaginable and gritting through tears and not knowing how long it would last. What makes suffering hardest, I believe, is not the pain. I think it is the questions that suffering raises. Questions like, why did this happen? Will this end? Will it get worse before it ends? Why my daughter? Why my son? That's what's difficult about suffering. And I know that if you've been through something like that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, So here's the question that I want to ask today. What do you do with the things that don't make sense? When God allows something in our lives um, that you can't understand, that is incomprehensible to you, what do you do? I also think this is a very important topic because as Christians, I think if we are going to get tripped up in our faith, it is here. How many believers do you know who fell away from their faith for a time because of this, because of suffering? Let, just think about Job for a second. You remember what God said about Job, right? This man, he said, is righteous and blameless, and there is none like him in the earth. So if Job can get hit by suffering, this man who is righteous and godly, that any of us would want to be, if that man can get hit by suffering, and it leads him to question God's love, and to begin doubting, and to begin asking, I don't understand God, why is this going on in my life? If that can happen to him, can it not happen to you or me? 
I think if we are going to get tripped up as Christians, it's going to be here. It's going to be when things come up in our life that we don't understand, that don't make sense to us. That's what's going to cause us to stumble. So again, the question is, what do you do when you don't understand? That's what I want to talk about today. And more important than that, is there hope? Maybe you're in a spot like that right now in life, or maybe you will be tomorrow. You just have no idea. How do you make it through? How do you get through? So why don't we turn to Job chapter 6. Job chapter 6, starting in verse 4. If you guys are... Um, new to, to the Bible and you've not spent a lot of time in the Bible before, the way to find Job is you go right to the middle of your Bible, which is the Psalms, and then when you find Psalms, just flip back and it's the book right before Psalms. Okay, so it's right in the center, and I don't have a Bible, Danae, would you be so kind as to get me one? It's really tricky to, to shift gears from, from worship to preaching sometimes, it's <laughs> A lot of little things get lost. Thank you so much. Okay, so Job chapter 6. So the question is, how do we get through suffering? And is there hope in times of trouble? That's what I want to ask today. Job right here, when we re-pick up this story, Job thinks not. He thinks there is not hope. He has gotten to a low point. I just wanted to read a couple verses. So Job chapter 6. Listen to his language here. It says, Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation or my trouble was weighed and all my calamity put in a balance. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. So, in other words, I spoke rashly of God because if you could feel what I feel, right, it you wouldn't be able to weigh it. And listen to what he says then. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. So what is he saying about God? What is Job saying? He's saying God's out to get me, is is he not? God is attacking, he's shooting me with arrows. Look at verse 8. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope. You want, you want hope? Here's my hope. That it would please God to crush me. That he would let loose his hand and cut me off. I want to die. That's my hope. And I know you know somebody who's been there. So I remember being in a spot like Job at one time in my life. I remember being at a low point when I was going through some suffering that was really, in comparison to Job, like nothing. But it was enough where I wasn't sleeping at night. Um, I was trying to take all sorts of medicines to get my digestive system moving and working, and it wasn't working. Um, And you might have also been there. (laughs) Um, It was very painful. I was up late. I thought I was going to fail college. And I remember thinking, it would be so much easier if, I, if I, it could just be done with this, right? Because I don't know why, I don't know how long, and I don't know exactly what God is trying to teach me. So in your notes, we're going to talk about how we can get through 
this, and it's an answer that I don't think is going to be the go-to for you, unless you have really thought about this a lot. It's not the go- it was not the go-to for me, and it was certainly not the go-to for Job. But God has an answer for us as far as how to get through suffering. Um, but first, let's talk about briefly how not to get through. Okay? So in your notes, if you're following along, the way that we don't get help when we're going through stuff like this is to try to answer those questions. The way that we don't get help is trying to get a simp- an oversimplified answer that explains why am I suffering, which is what most of us are asking for, right? That's what Job is asking for. He says later in chapter 6, I don't understand, God. And if only I could meet with you and give you my case, then, then, it, then it would make sense to me. But what's, what's interesting is in the end, when God eventually speaks to Job, he doesn't answer one of his questions. Not one. He doesn't say, why are you suffering? He doesn't explain what he's doing. So what doesn't help, what doesn't work, is oversimplified answers to explain our suffering or to make it seem, uh, sorry, to explain it um, or to make sense out of it. What does help, what does help is leaning into the God who is greater than we can imagine. Okay, so again, if you're writing this down, what will not help you in suffering is trying to explain it or make sense of it. What will help is you leaning into the greatness of God. Leaning into the God who is greater than you can imagine. Greater than you can comprehend. And I know that might be a tough one for some of you to understand, okay, how would that actually help? Um, But I hope that by the time you leave today, that will make sense, maybe in a way that it has never made sense to you. I'm praying that God will use something I say to flick a switch in your mind to help you see that this is actually how to make it through when things get hard. Um, so are we, are we good? Ready to dig into this? Let's, let's flip over to chapter 42 of Job. All the way to the end of the story. You remember what I, what I said is, when, when we get to the end, we'd, we'd expect that God would answer Job's questions, but God does not answer any of them. What God does is he reveals himself to Job. At the end of Job's suffering, after all these questions, he reveals himself to Job. So look at, look at me at verse 1 to 3, and listen to what Job says. After God reveals himself to Job, Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You said... This is quoting God from earlier. He says, God had asked him, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Who is this that speaks without understanding? In other words, Job, you have all these questions and accusations against me for what I'm doing in your life. 
right? Um, and he says, who is this that hides counsel with, without knowledge? In other words, Job, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're saying. But listen to what, what Job says then. He says, you said that, who hides counsel without knowledge? I, therefore, uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Do you see the perspective shift in Job right there? What did he just call his questions? Yeah, things too wonderful for me to comprehend. Well, that's a big shift. I mean, just a little while ago, Job, you were saying, God, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. You're out to to hurt me. And now he's saying, I know I don't understand, but those things, those questions, they're too wonderful for me to know. I can't wrap my mind around them because they're too good, too wonderful for me to know. That is a huge shift. So what we're going to be talking about today is how does that change happen in Job? How does he go from, from being angry at God and confused and bitter to trusting God and saying that these, I don't need to know the answers to these questions. They're too wonderful for me. I believe that it happens. I believe that this change happens when, when Job recognizes God's incomprehensibility. When he sees that God's ways are higher than his ways, that God is greater than him, that God is doing things that he can't even imagine. So to navigate suffering, the first thing we need to understand is that we serve a God who is beyond understanding. Let me say that one more time. When I'm going through suffering, the first thing I need to understand is that God is beyond my understanding. That's what I need to understand first, okay? So let's look at that for a moment or two. I want to look at three ways that God is beyond understanding, that he is incomprehensible. Number one, his power. Number two, his wisdom. Number three, his love. Okay? Three ways. Psalm 33, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 33, verse 6. God is incomprehensible in his power. Listen to this verse. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host, by his breath. Okay? So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a total science nerd, so I'm going to take a little second here to just talk a little bit of science. Okay? So God made the stars with his what? Say it with me. His breath. Okay? So I could be here all day talking about stars. Literally. Like, for, <laughs> like we could stay here for hours. Um, but I just wanted to share with you a couple facts about one, one star. Okay? One star. It's called the sun. It's our, it's our friend, right? It's, it's, it's glad, I'm glad that we have the sun. Well, our sun, to quote from science line, will run out of fuel someday, die, and become a white dwarf. Anybody know what that is? A raise of hands. White dwarf stars. Okay, essentially what a white dwarf star is, is it's a star that has run out of wood. 
It's run out of fuel, and all that is left is this massive ball of liquid metal, right? This burning hot ball of metal floating in space. So bright that it still lights up the sky. But it's run out of fuel. So it's not generating additional heat now. Do you know how hot that ball of metal is? Scientists say it is so hot, I'm, I'm not even joking about this, it sounds ridiculous, that it would take about four billion years for that star to cool off. You remember, how cold is it in space? It's negative 274 degrees Celsius. If you were in that cold temperatures and you had a white, hot, glowing piece of metal that you put in a fire, you took it out and you, you took that metal and put it into negative 274 degrees Celsius, it would snuff it out in like 10 seconds. But this star is sitting there. Our sun, let's pretend. It, thankfully, we know that our sun is not going to die, right? That was a quote from, a, from an evolutionist perspective. But if it did... There's so much heat there, it would take 4 billion years for that heat to be blown off. That's just one star. And, it's, and that verse we just read said that God breathed out trillions of stars. The estimates right now about our universe is that there are about a billion trillions of stars. A billion trillions. To put that in perspective, if you took every grain of sand on the, the planet and you put them in a pile, you would need five of those mounds of sand to account for all the stars. But our God did what? Just breathed them out. Here's my point. Whatever your thoughts of God are, they are too small. They are far too small. God is incomprehensibly powerful. Here, here's another fact. Okay, I just have to say one more, okay? That's, that seems like a big number, right? A trillion billions. Do you know that that is the number of H2O molecules in 10 drops of water? 10 drops of water have that many H2O molecules. So God did not only create these vast balls of fire all throughout like space, he has made this intricately small world that, that you know, even, even in 10 drops of water, there's that much complexity. So to quote uh, D.A. Carson, um, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> and he's not advocating that. But think about that one for a bit. Think about that. That's our God. He's incomprehensible in power. He's also incomprehensible in his wisdom. Flip over to chapter 38 in Job real quick. Job chapter 38, and we'll start in verse 1. This is where Job, or where, sorry, where God said that question to Job. He says, who is this, verse 2, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job, you don't know what you're talking about. He, and then he says, dress for action like a man, and I will question you. Okay, man up, Job. 
because I'm about to question you. That's what he says. Verse 4. It says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling clothes. Like God is just saying, were you there when I, when I created the, this world and the universe? You're accusing me of, of hurting you and attacking you. Who are you, Job? Who are you to accuse me? Or to even understand what I'm doing? This is what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 11 at the end of, um, of a large treatise on who God is. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. And then he quotes from Isaiah, For who has known the mind of the Lord? So that's the danger of we put God in a box, don't we? When we're trying to understand what we're going through, God, give me answers. We say, well, God is probably just out to hurt me. We, we put God in a box. And that's so dangerous. We need to be careful. When we, we need to be careful, too, when we read the things that God says about himself in his word, that we don't assume that we therefore understand him. Pastors and theologians do that all the time. They assume that since I've got some understanding of God... I therefore have got all figured out. And they, they, they write out all of the details about why God does what he does. Listen, no one has known the mind of the Lord. That's what Isaiah says. No one. He also says in Isaiah chapter 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. So in other words, let me me just say it this way. There are things in your life and in my life that you will not understand, that you cannot, dare I say, cannot understand. There are things God will allow to happen to you that you will not and cannot understand. And that's because you are not him, right? And I am not him. We get so caught up, so hung up when we we try to wrap our minds around God. Um, And also around like why, why, why God does what he does. This reminds me of Francis Chan. Do you guys know him? He's a, he's a young pastor. Um, he's pretty famous on YouTube. 
He, he had a, a video he does on hell, on the topic of hell, which is another topic where we tend to ask why, right? Where we tend to think, well, if I was God, this is what Francis Chan says in his video, if I was God, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd think to do that. I mean, if you were God, would you create hell? That's the question that he's wrestling with, right? Why would God do this? We get so hung up when we're, thinking, when we're trying to ask questions like that. Why would God do this? I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't take my, my relative or my family member and allow them to go to eternal judgment. But then Francis Chan makes this point. Do you know what else I wouldn't have thought to do? I wouldn't have thought to take my son, my only son, the son that I love, my cherished son, and have him go to my enemies, like become one of them, like this little thing, and have these, guys, these other ones, these other people spit on him and beat him and nail him to a cross. I would never have thought to do that. And the point is, God's wisdom is higher than yours and mine. I don't know why he's allowed this suffering into your life right now. I don't. And you probably won't either. Maybe you'll find out some of it over time. Maybe you won't. But God's ways are high. So God is incomprehensible in his power and in his wisdom. Lastly, God is also incomprehensible in his love. And look at, let's go to Job chapter 9 real quick. Here's the thing, guys. Here's what, here's what Job got stuck with and what he struggled with. Job understood those first two points. He understood that God was all-powerful and that God was all-wise. Listen to him in verse 4. Job says, God, he, is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeds? Like, there's no way that you're going to succeed if you take God on. He is all-powerful. He is wise in heart. He who removes mountains, and they know not. And then he says in verse uh, 7, Who commands the sun and it does not rise? Who seals up the stars? Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Who made the bear, the, the constellation, right? And Orion and Pleiades. Who set these things in the sky? Who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous beyond number? Okay, so Job understands God's power and his wisdom, does he not? Job understands God is powerful, God is wise. And I think generally we do too. What we get stuck on is this third point, that God is also loving. Because go over to verse 14. Verse 14, Job says, God is powerful and God is wise, but then he says, how then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy, 
here's, here's what I wanted, wanted to emphasize. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to me, for he crushes me. Do you get what he's saying? Even if, even if God heard me and wanted to have a conversation, he wouldn't listen to me. He would just keep crushing me. So what Job understood was God's power and his wisdom. What Job did not understand was that God is also incomprehensible in his love. That the love of God is far greater and deeper and higher and wider than you can wrap your mind around. Listen to the way Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, I pray that out of his riches, glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love which surpasses knowledge. Incomprehensible love. So Paul describes the love of Christ as something that we could spend the rest of eternity getting to know. It's like this vast ocean that we could spend the rest of forever getting to know. It's a love that surpasses knowledge. Listen to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. There's just like more and more of it. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. Do you recognize that phrase from a second ago? As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. And Job did, by the way, right? Job, did Job fear God? Yes. Job feared God. Job served God. Job believed in God. God says he was a righteous man. God said, this is one who fears me. He was a Christian. God tells us he did. he's a Christian. So, so Job knew that God was powerful, and he knew that God could help him. Job knew that God was wise and that he had a reason. What Job didn't understand is that God is love. And that he would carry him. Say that one more time. Job knew that God was powerful and could help him in his suffering. Job knew that God was wise and had a reason for his suffering. What Job didn't understand is that God is love and would carry him through his suffering. And suffer along with him. We actually read in Psalm 56, verse 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected my tears in your bottle. And in Jeremiah 14, 17, say to them this word. This is Jeremiah talking to Israel. Israel has been very unfaithful to God. They've done a lot of wrong. 
And Jeremiah is, God tells Jeremiah, tell Israel this. You shall say to them this word. Verse 17, let my eyes run. This is God talking. Let my eyes run with tears night and day and let them not cease. For the daughter of my people is shattered with a great wound, with a grievous blow. You know, God tells us to weep with those who weep, right? Do do we think he doesn't? That he doesn't weep with those who weep? He says, let my tears run with, sorry, my eyes run with tears night and day and not cease. Because my daughter has been struck with a great blow. So God's reasons for Job's suffering were not cold towards Job. They were the exact opposite. God was not doing something to hurt Job. He was doing the exact opposite. God was doing what he promises all of us in Romans 8:28. In all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God is incomprehensible. He is incomprehensibly powerful. He is incomprehensibly wise. He is incomprehensibly loving towards us who fear him. You will never wrap your mind around God. You will never fully understand God's actions. And you will never also tire of knowing him. He is greater than we can imagine, right? As the song we sang said, he is more beautiful than we can fathom. He is great and greatly to be praised. Okay, so how does this help us in suffering? That's what I want to end on. How does that help us through suffering? Um, that's the question we've been asking. I just want to give a few thoughts on this. Um, number one, write this down, a God that I can understand, that, that might feel safe to me, but that God is not big enough to capture my heart or to help me. Because a God I can understand is only as big as who? A God I can understand is only as big as, as me, right? Um, you guys have maybe watched the Chronicles of Narnia or read through the books, the Chronicles of Narnia. There's a scene I love in, in the Chronicles of Narnia where they're going to go meet Aslan, right? Aslan is the, the character that represents Jesus, and he's a lion, right? And um, the children ask Mr. Beaver, who is Aslan? And, and Mr. Beaver says, um, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about reading, meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver responds, do you remember? Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. So, the God who is beyond understanding, he's not safe in the way that we sometimes think about safe. But I believe he is a God that can capture our heart. And he is a God that can help us in suffering. So just a few, a few points on that. So God can capture our hearts. 
Do you know how in a relationship, when, when you first meet that girl or that guy and, and you don't know them yet, there's this air of mystery kind of about them? Sometimes, like you want to get to know them more. You're like, this person is, is interesting and, and they captivate you. Well, here's the thing. Because God is beyond understanding and infinite, that feeling will never end with God. Will it? Knowing God is an it's like an endless journey into more and more awe and amazement. We can never get to the end of knowing God. He's always bigger than us. He's, there's always more of him to learn and to understand. There's always more of him to capture my heart. So in other words, there's enough of God to spend eternity knowing God and falling in love with him. Philippians chapter 3 um, We could listen to Paul's words in verses 8 and 9. Paul says, What is more, this is Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, but his righteousness. That comes through faith in him. And then he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. So people have asked a lot, what's the greatest joy of heaven going to be? What's the most beautiful thing about heaven? What's the best thing about heaven? I believe It's going to be the infiniteness of the God that you and I are going to come to know. The infiniteness of the God that we are going to come to know. Day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute for eternity, getting to know a God who is infinitely greater than us. And look at verse 10 again. If you're you're still in Philippians, if you followed me there. Because... This also clarifies that there is value in our suffering. There's purpose in it. Because Paul, if if you look where he, he says, I want to know Christ, in verse 10, he says, I want to know him, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. So what's that about, Paul? You want to participate in suffering? Um, And it, it says becoming like him in his death. Well, we can think about it this way, because, because knowing God is the whole point, because knowing God is the whole point of life, then our suffering has meaning. Because as Paul says, we are participating in his sufferings, let me read it one more time, becoming like him in his death. So we're becoming like the one that we're going to spend forever with. So that's why Paul, who, is gone, who went through major suffering, by the way, Paul is writing these letters, Philippians, 2 Corinthians, he's writing them from prison. He's been through a lot. He says in verse 16, of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, So, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We don't lose heart because our inner self is being changed. He says, for this light momentary affliction, 
And in, and in the moment, none, no affliction feels that way, right? It never feels light. But Paul's perspective is this is light, momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, incomprehensible. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. So nobody would question that Job, that his suffering was heavy. And nobody would question that Paul went through deep, dark suffering. None of us would want to go through what they went through. But Paul says it's making you like Jesus. Paul says we're becoming like this God that we're going to spend eternity with. So here's the danger of putting God in a box, if I may. If you have God, a God you can understand, if you have a God you can understand, you will lose, number one, the infiniteness of falling in love with him forever. Number two, you will lose the meaning in your suffering. If you have a God you can understand, your suffering suffering will not have meaning. Because I would never have put myself through this. But if we know an infinite God, our suffering has meaning because it's building something for us. Lastly, finally, because God is comprehensible, incomprehensible, sorry, (laughs) we have access, you and I, to incomprehensible strength for today and incomprehensible hope for tomorrow. Let me just read real, really fast through these things that I have here. Okay, you might uh, be able to relate to one or more of these. Do you feel like you have no strength left? Well, in Ephesians, Paul prays that we would come to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, he says, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. So you feel like you have no strength? God has incomparable power, incomprehensible power for us who believe. Incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you feel overwhelmed or like your heart is not going to ever be at rest again because of what's happened to you? Well, God tells you, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which, who knows it, transcends understanding, goes above what we can understand, will guard your heart. So he has given us power. He has given us peace. He has also given us joy. We read in 1 Corinthians, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Um, So suffering becomes an avenue, I believe, for us to know God in this way. Do you know the verse that I I said at the beginning that when, when I am weak, he is strong. In my weakness, I get to know his strength, his power, right? And that's what, to finish up, that's what Job's friends lacked, right? We all know, we remember how Job's friends respond, right? Job's friends say what? 
They say, they say, we know why you're suffering, Job. And they list out the reasons. And some of those reasons are good, and some of them are not, right? And in the end, they all fall flat, and they make a fool of themselves. And God says at the end of the book, he says, you have not spoken. He says, I'm angry with you three, because you have not spoken what is true about me, as my servant Job has. In other words, even though they said some truths, like they said, Job, God is trying to change you. He's trying to make you, you know, different. Or he, he's trying to humble you, Job. He's trying to put you in your place because God is big and great. And he's trying, to, he's trying to put you in your place. Even though they said some true things, what they, what they were trying to do is wrap their mind around something that only God understood. Which is, which is why Job was suffering. He, God had not revealed that to them or to Job. But they were trying to speak for God. And God says, you fell flat because you tried to make sense of something that only I can understand. 